I have with me a guest today that I have been wanting to get on the show for quite a while because I thought you would really want to meet her. I got to know her a little bit at an event last year, and uh, she has had an amazing career, and uh, she retired from her police job, but that's not stopping her now. She's got so much more happening, and, uh, and I want to talk to her about it. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here. So you were, uh, you retired as a Lieutenant Colonel with the New York State Police. Now that is, that in and of itself, it's quite a title uh, and it, uh, I'm guessing it was quite a job. We'll talk about that. But you started uh, as a trooper in 1983 at a time, I had started in 1980, at a time when women weren't really prevalent so much in, uh, not so much as in law enforcement, but certainly in uh, state patrol agencies around the country. Why did you become a cop and why the state police? I was working as a registered nurse. And um, as you pointed out, there really weren't any role models for law enforcement, but it was something that interested me. And uh, I had been going to community college and I saw all the men that were in the um, municipal police training course and I thought, boy, you know, that just seems like such an interesting thing. Uh, and then uh, somehow I got recruited. The state troopers in New York were having an exam and they were aggressively looking for women and minorities at that time. Uh, and so I had also applied to law school because of that interest and had been accepted, but I also got called by the troopers for a job and I had to make a decision. And um, I said, well, let me see how far I can take this. And uh, I, I never looked back. I never regretted my decision. And it's been quite an adventure. So when you got out of the police academy in the 80s, you know, and you got through field training and all of that, you're out there somewhere in the state of New York in a patrol car by yourself, correct? Yes, yes. Um, and actually, the challenges began way before that. Um, I really was, I think I was probably, if they voted, I would be le least likely to succeed out of our, our, our academy class because I was used to being successful in school, but there, you know, it's a paramilitary atmosphere and they didn't seem to like anything about me. They didn't like the way I looked or walked or talked or anything. And I didn't handle that well. And of course, now I understand that that's all part of the transformation of, you know, citizen to state trooper. Uh, but at the time I took it hard. And when I got out, um, I worked with a bunch of troopers who had never worked with a woman before. And, uh, and that was difficult as well. I wasn't, uh, they did not welcome me with open arms. And I so think that's, all an of that affected that's a really important distinction that I wanna make because I had a similar experience and I've talked to a lot of women who have had that similar experience from the late seventies and into the eighties. And I think, yeah, I think women, now look at us and say, I, why didn't you file a lawsuit? Why didn't you get a lawyer? Why didn't you? And that's, we were just trying to survive and thrive in our chosen career, right? Oh my gosh, I never expected that kind of reception. And so um, my reaction was, oh my God, what, what do I need to do to fit in or, or, or learn? I wanted to learn my job 
um, it never occurred to me to, to file a lawsuit or, or create a problem or anything. I just, I wanted to figure out what was wrong um, because it meant so much to me to be part of something larger than myself, to be part of this agency that, that I loved already. So, um, you know, it took a while. You, you win people over one at a time, you do your job, uh, you become confident and, uh, and eventually it, it happened. You know, I got accepted and I felt I did a good job and I moved up in the agency. So it was, it was a, a bit of a, a journey at the beginning. So you did succeed hugely and, uh, and you did move up. Talk about your first promotion. Um, well, as I said, I struggled as, as a young trooper and, and that kind of went on for a while. And I took the first promotion exam I could take, which uh, was when I had about six years on. And by that time, you know, I was functioning just fine as a state trooper and I was enjoying my work. But, um, you know, I was 25 when I started. And at that point, I was in my early 30s. And, um, and I was interested in doing something else anyway, just um, I didn't think I didn't see myself wrestling with drunks at 45, you know, that kind of thing in the middle of the street. Uh, so I took the exam and I got promoted. We have two promotional exams for the positions of sergeant and lieutenant. And then after that, it's an appointment process. But I was successful both times and, and started moving up through the ranks at that point. What was your first assignment as a sergeant? Um, I went up to the Adirondack Park, which is in the north part of New York State, which is a very um, thinly populated area. Um, uh, there's uh, large gaps between barracks. Uh, you don't have a lot of backup there. It's just a, a totally different place than where I had been working in the Hudson Valley as a trooper. And uh, when I went up, I found that most of the troopers that were working for me as a, as a first line supervisor were older and had more time on. And, um, and actually they were very generous um, in terms of helping me get acclimated to my new role and, and all of that. And you know, it was a very interesting experience to be away from home like that and, and, uh, and learning a new job, but I thoroughly enjoyed all of it. You know, I think that people who aren't familiar with um, the state of New York, you know, it, people people from the West here, we think New York City, right? We think of Manhattan, right. we think of Brooklyn. Um, New York State is an amazingly beautiful state for folks who've never visited. And there is a lot of rural, wooded, remote <laughs> areas, aren't there? Oh, yeah. Um, New York is a beautiful state and it's different, uh, as you point out, uh, and it's large. And so when you're in the New York State Police and you get promoted, or for that matter, when you start as a trooper, you could be sent virtually anywhere within that state. So um, it's, it's kind of fun if you are single and you are just starting out in life with a new job like I was and, uh, and was able to go and, and, and travel to take my promotions. Right, right. Now, talk about becoming a lieutenant colonel and explain to people how high up you were in the organization. I mean, that's an extremely high rank in your organization, right? Well, uh, after 35 years with the state police, in my last couple of years, I was promoted to um, division headquarters, which is in Albany. And it's, I had already gone through the ranks. So I had already moved up through, you know, all of our um, lieutenant, captain, major, all of those positions um, and had other really interesting jobs on the way. Um, and at the end, I really didn't plan to go to division headquarters to work. 
I had um, hoped that I would finish my career as the troop commander uh, in the troop where I started, coincidentally, after traveling all over the place, uh, and which a job which I treasured and really was the highlight of my career. But what happens in, in the state police is that when there are openings um, above you, everybody moves up uh, to fill the space. And so I became the most senior major and it was time for me to go. So instead of retiring at that moment, which I could have done, I said that I was still in service, if you will. And so I went up to see um, what I could do. And I actually didn't know at that moment, I was kind of, I think, distracted by disappointment uh, that I was going, but um, it turned out to be so important for me to be there. And, um, and it was great to recognize that when I got there, uh, there was only one other woman at the time who was working there. She was a full colonel. She was a dear friend of mine, is a dear friend of mine. And the two of us um, were at that big conference table where all the decisions get made and policy gets created. And it was so important for us to be there. Our voices, um, our vision for the future, um, our experiences all were part of answers that, um, you know, the boys, if you will, weren't giving. And, uh, you know, we love the boys and, and you know, we, we, uh, we appreciated our, our careers, uh, but, you know, we brought something different. And, um, you know, the most important change and the most effective change, I think, comes from within. And in order to accomplish that, you have to be there. So um, I actually am so grateful for the opportunity and the responsibility of going up and, and taking on that role in the last couple of years of my career. Now, I know leadership is near and dear to your heart. You know, you impart that on others. I know mentorship is very important. If you can, in just a couple of minutes, can you sort of give us your leadership philosophy? Um, you know, I do, as, as everyone does, I developed my leadership style over time, um, but it hasn't changed since the beginning. And that is that I, I know that we have a mission, but the only way to accomplish the mission is to get people in line behind you who believe in the mission too, and get there. And, and in order to, to do that, to lead them properly, you have to inspire them and you have to inspire in them the idea that you care about them. It's so simple. It's not rocket science, but leadership's all about people skills and, um, and communication. And so um, people want, in, in, no matter what job they have, everyone I think wants basically the same thing when they go to work. They wanna feel like they're a part of things. Um, they want to uh, get recognition for the work that they're doing. And they want an understanding of the people that they work for, that they have a life that extends somewhere beyond the workday. And um, all those things are pretty simple to keep in mind. Uh, and, but uh, interestingly, not everyone does that. So, um, you know, the things that I mentioned, the, the qualities that a good leader has, I think uh, all start with that idea of, of um, caring about the people that, that work for you or that you, and that you work with um, fundamentally. If, if uh, you know, because we all create an atmosphere at work whether it's a good one or a bad one. So if, uh, if the people that are around you that, that you're responsible for do not respond to your leadership, then not much gets accomplished. On that note, when we talk about the people um, that you supervise, the people that you led at the time, now we're in an atmosphere in the United States where law enforcement's really 
under attack. And I know you're retired, but give me your thoughts on that. You know, as a trainer, as a, as an author, as somebody who was, has been involved in the profession for all these decades. Uh, it makes me sad because I know who these people are that, that enter into this work. Um, you know, I, I would regularly remind my troopers that we are in the business of serving the public and we are necessarily part of the community that we're trying to serve. And I would use the word love, believe it or not, uh, to cover uh, the important points about that uh, dynamic. You know, as a leader, you need to love the people that you are leading. You need to love the agency. You need to love the mission. You need to love the work. You need to love the community. Um, but as an agency, a compassionate agency begins with being compassionate towards the people that are a part of it. So I think that's where good leadership excuse me, good leadership comes into play. Um, you know, you mentioned my background in training. I was the director of training for the New York State Police. I was involved in selecting leadership programs for our personnel. And um, we consider everyone at every level within our agency a leader. You know, the first day out of the academy, uh, no one knows that that's your first day, but if someone calls, you're expected to show up and fix whatever's gone wrong. Um, and so, you know, those qualities are important as just a fundamental part of, of the role of police in the world. But uh, I know how good these folks are. You know, I um, was so proud of the work that people around me did and the work that I did. These are, these are good folks. They're regular folks. They have families, they have hobbies, they have pets. Um, they get hurt by the things that they see. Um, they never forget the, the people they run into. I've got people from 35 years ago, just like you do, that you know you remember um, that will, are an indelible part of, of uh, the, your life's work. Uh, and so to see the criticism um, and kind of the ignorance that is expressed toward policing uh, makes me sad. Where do you, what do you think the future of policing is in the United States. You, you know, are you optimistic that we're going to get out of this current atmosphere um, that we're in and get back to um, law and order, first of all, putting bad guys in jail and, and keeping our communities safe and, and also back to respect for this profession, the people who do it. What are your thoughts on that? I am very optimistic. Um, one thing that was always inspiring to me was to see how many wonderful people continue to want to be police officers, despite the danger, despite the changes. You know, when you and I were pulling cars over and you told somebody to do something, they pretty much did what you said. Um, there wasn't a gun in their car probably. And they probably weren't in an altered condition unless they were, you know, a little drunk, but they weren't in an altered condition uh, so that they were unpredictable in terms of, you know, even prescription drugs. Um, the world's a lot different, and but we get young people who still sign up. We get veterans who have served their country who also continue to serve by joining police agencies when they when they come back. So I'm very optimistic on, on those terms. Um, and, and as far as the world itself goes, I think we're going to see a swing back to a more orderly life. Um, I don't think anybody's happy with the kind of chaos that that many of us experience. Um, and even in New York State recently, we've dialed back a little bit on the, the bail reforms that were set out. So I'm hopeful in those terms that common sense will return. 
Um, but really everyone hopefully will, will treat one another with a little bit more consideration and respect. I think, you know, respect is one of the core values of the New York State Police. And uh, we expect our people to show respect for not only the people we serve, but for each other, for their bosses and for the people that work for them. So, you know, it's basic kindergarten stuff, I think. I, you are absolutely right. And so Robin, you decided to take all your vast experiences um, with the state police and instead of just, uh, you know, going skiing and hiking and going on cruises and stuff in retirement, um, you decided also to sit down and write a book. What's that process been like? Um, it actually has been a wonderful process, but it's been really difficult for me. Um, I kept uh, journals going back into the late 70s uh, about my life. And uh, so I can, and I have been going back through and reading how I felt about things in real time, uh, what I said, what someone said to me. Um, it's been a mostly wonderful experience. Uh, but my idea about writing a book in the first place was I uh, wanted to share the things that I believed I learned about leading people. And that morphed into a bit of a memoir to use experiences and, and uh, examples from my own life to illustrate my points. And then it became a little bit of a love letter to the New York State Police too, because I was so proud of the agency that I was allowed to be part of and to serve, and I still am. And all the folks that, uh, the wonderful people that I got to have in my life because I was a New York State Trooper and all the fantastic experiences I got to have. So I wanted people to know about the New York State Police too. So there's a little bit of history in there. I'm a history buff. So um, it's, a, it's a little bit of everything, hopefully that will appeal to a, a wide range of people. Yeah, this is not gonna be just a book for cops. This is gonna be a book for, uh, for everybody, right? Who do you want to play you in the movie? <laughs> I haven't thought about that yet. That'll be fun to think about. I think you should think about that because I think this book is gonna be, Amazing, uh, because, you know, you have had such a, a storied career and 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 you're how can I say this? You're kind of an atypical um, example of what people think a state trooper is. Right. That's a strength. And, you know, that's an important strength that women bring to policing. Um, you know, all the things that we were criticized for as weaknesses way back when are now considered strengths, you know. How about talking to people? What a what a novel idea rather than trying to fight everybody. I mean, if you have to fight, you learn fight, of course. But uh, the idea of of actually speaking to folks and and uh, and trying to find, you know, find a collaborative solution to something or, or using your intuition, uh, which is another thing that I would tell the men that worked for me, you know, like if, if you think something's going south, man, it's going south because your brain, you know, takes it all in. But women are used to that kind of thing. So um, so yeah, I think those those weaknesses um, are actually turning out to be strengths and and not looking like a trooper was very useful to me in some of the uh, assignments that I had. So that was all yeah. part of the fun. Yeah, you are you are absolutely correct. And and so many of the things we're talking about now, um, de-escalation, things like that. Um, I mean, men are very talented at that, but women do it naturally. And uh, and that's why the best, partnership that you can have on a police department uh, in, in any assignment is a man and a woman. 
And, uh, and, you know, that's something that I think you and I both teach. We've talked about it in person. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm just, I was so excited to talk to you and I'm so excited about this book. So tell folks how to get in touch with you, because I want to, I want to make sure people know you're available for speaking engagements as well. You're a terrific speaker and uh, tell people where they can find you, how they can find you, and when you think the book's going to be ready for publication so Hollywood can get their hands on it. <laughs> well, I'm hoping I'll be complete with a, a draft sometime in the next few months, and then I, I know that publishing process takes a long time, maybe next year, but I would love to, to go around and talk about the, the contents and, and the ideas that, that I have in there. Um, I have a little business called By Heart Consulting. I can be found on LinkedIn. Lieutenant Colonel, I cannot uh, thank you enough for spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now 